welcome back to the Russell Street Replay, a podcast that recaps every Baltimore Ravens game by handing out awards and superlatives to various players and plays throughout the week. This week, we're going to be recapping the Baltimore Ravens overtime thriller on Monday Night Football against the Indianapolis Colts. With me, I have Russell Street Report contributor Ronald Tooth. Ron, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Nikhil. It was uh, a crazy night, to say the least. Definitely had us had our hearts pumping into the wee hours of the morning. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely wondering if we're ever going to get a normal game this season. Uh, (laughs) And kind of kicking it off on that note, what does this win tell you about the Ravens, the good and the bad, especially when it comes to playing in so many tight games this season? Well, we'll start with the good. Obviously, that's the good way to go. Uh, It tells me that this team has got a lot of grinders and a lot of heart. I mean, this is the fourth matchup so far that has been, you know, down to the last minute in these close games. They're so hard to pull out in the NFL. But, I mean, to John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson's credit, they've managed to do it every single time they've been faced with this kind of situation so far this season. And it's a long year, of course, so a lot can change. But so far, you got to like what you see. Uh, As far as the bad, I mean, the defense, there's a lot left to be desired. I mean, that's clearly obvious for anybody who's watching the games. Uh, We'll we'll touch about the middle linebacker situation a little after, but that's pretty glaring. Uh, There's some depth issues in the secondary, especially with guys like Elliott going down. Uh, I mean, there's definitely a lot of fixes that need to be made on that side of the ball. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, the, the good about being able to win these tight games is having that grit, having that heart. Uh, that really matters, especially come playoff time. And I don't think it's ever too early to be thinking about, you know, this team's playoffs aspirations and being able to win tight games against good teams and teams that come in with good game plans against the Ravens is huge. But at the same time, you know, you know, something that Lamar Jackson said last night is that, you know, we don't want to be in these kinds of games all the time. We don't want to be down to the wire hoping for field goal misses. And so, you know, like you said, defensively, definitely a lot to be desired. Um, but it is also really encouraging to see this team kind of bond and gel under the leadership of, like you said, Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson uh, this early in the season. Uh, you mentioned the defense, especially the middle linebacker position. What do you make of you know, the Ravens' ability to guard the middle of the field right now? Uh, I don't really know what to make of it, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, we've all seen Patrick Queens had a really rough start to the year. It actually looks so far like he's taken a step back from where he was last year when at the beginning of the year, people were talking about him as being the defensive rookie of the year. Uh, Malik Harrison only played 25% of snaps last night. Uh, The LJ Fort injury that we didn't think was going to be quite as dire as some of the others is quickly turning out to being the most important loss we've had so far. Uh, They're going to have to work somebody out. Maybe one of these vintage Eric DaCosta midseason trades, I mean, there's, you know, a lot of teams that are really fledgling right now with some talent that could be looking to offload. Uh, Deion Jones in Atlanta is one that comes to mind. I know the the money may be tough to work out, but I think at this point we've seen pretty much that the salary cap's a myth in the NFL. So uh, some kind of move's going to have to be made there because this is not going – eventually this is going to cost the Ravens a game, and you'd like to see them get it corrected before it's too important. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Queen, I felt like had a really good game against the Raiders and just doesn't has just not looked nearly as comfortable the rest of the season. 
And it does kind of suck because we heard so much about him and Harrison having a full off season together and, and really gelling and really feeling like they could anchor the middle of this defense. And, you know, you hope they can turn around this season, but at a certain point, like you said, changes have to be made that are going to actually fix the problem. You know, I still think queen and Harrison are likely our inside linebacker combination for the next few years. And I think that's a decent thing, but clearly they're not quite at the point where they're ready to completely anchor a defense. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, Harrison coming off the field a lot on third down ties. Bowser was the guy playing middle linebacker because the team just trusts him as a guy to diagnose plays and drop into coverage. And I wonder if, you know, once Dalen Hayes come back, does Bowser end up moving more over the middle um, just because he's so good there? And uh, to your point there as well, once Elliott comes back, and I mean, we saw Stevens last night, led the team in tackles, looked pretty good. Uh, we saw that graphic about Chuck Clark playing every position on the field and the water boy. Uh, do we see more of him lined up at the middle linebacker to try to supplement some of those pass coverage issues? Yeah, and I think we might have to, but again, that kind of opens up the Ravens to uh, an issue that they've had this season, which is tackling. Um, you know, as good as, you know, Chuck Clark is as a tackler and Stevens was yesterday, it is harder for, you know, those smaller defensive backs to line to, to break blocks against offensive linemen and against offensive linemen and tackle those really talented running backs like Jonathan Taylor. Um, my last big question uh, is my favorite big question. And it's will the Lamar Jackson haters finally admit they're wrong after he threw for a franchise record 442 yards last night? What do you think? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at this point, the guy's been unanimous MVP. He's smashed records on the ground and now through the air. And every single week, they just keep moving the goalposts on the guy. I'll be honest, though. I don't mind it as much as it, at this point. I think it really helps add to the fire of this team and to the grit that they show every week. And this this just ability to pull out these tough wins, it almost feels like every single week they have to go out there and prove themselves again. And so far, it's it's seemed to be a benefit overall. And historically, that's been a good mentality for this team. So, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, if, you, if you're not converted by now to, to believing in Jackson, you, you're not going to last night's not going to make much of a difference for you if everything he's done already isn't enough. Uh, so moving into our, our categories for our recap, the first one is Raven of the game. Uh, and so on the first podcast, I noted that this can't just be called most valuable Raven because that would always be Lamar Jackson. But mm -hmm. last night, it kind of seemed like Jackson was the Raven of the game. He's my first nominee, um, along with Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown, who both had over 100 yards receiving and two touchdowns. And I also, even though the defense struggled last night, I wanted to throw in Brandon Stevens, a guy you mentioned earlier. He had 11 tackles starting at safety in place of Deshaun Elliott and was just everywhere and easily the brightest spot on the defense last night. Uh, two honorable mentions, Tavon Young. Um, he had a sack, three tackles for loss, but a really costly penalty that I'm sure we'll talk about a bit later. And Odafe Owe was really impactful earlier in the game, but I wanted to see him get to Wentz a little bit more, especially down the stretch. Uh, what are your thoughts on Raven of the game? Uh, yeah, keeping Lamar aside, because as you mentioned, uh, Mark Andrews was my number one choice. I mean, 11 catches, 147 yards, two touchdowns. He had that really nice one-handed grab at the end of the game, which, mm -hmm. you know, well-documented have been Mark Andrews' drop issues. I mean, look no further than the Raiders game earlier this year. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Kansas City game last year, he had a couple that were really rough in big moments. So that was really nice to see. Uh, yeah, Andrews was my number one for sure. I, again, Hollywood also had a tremendous game. But, I mean, those two touchdowns, the one to get us close and the one to tie it up, and then the two two-point conversions, I mean, it's – 
you'd be hard pressed to not give that to anybody but Andrews after what we saw last night. Yeah, and I think Jackson just being kind of the cheat code he is, uh, you know, makes it hard to understand. Like, man, Andrews and Brown had really impressive games. I mean, securing two two point conversions is tough, and securing four and finding the end zone four times inside of five yards, which is what he did on both touchdowns, the two point conversions. That's really hard to find the space, make the catch through contact, which is what Andrews did all night. So, you know, I absolutely agree. I think Mark Andrews is the Ravens Raven of the game. Yeah. Um, moving on to unit of the game. This was kind of an interesting game. Uh, the offensive line allowed a couple sacks, but also gave Jackson so much time in the pocket, especially when they were in the red zone, trying to find, um, find those touchdowns during that comeback. Uh, he had all day on a couple of those passes. Uh, the receivers did really well, even though Sammy Watkins went down, they, uh, Devin Duvernay and James Proshi both stepped up again this week. Um, and obviously, as we mentioned, Hollywood Brown, another massive week for him. But I actually think my unit of the game is the field goal block unit, the field goal defense unit. Um, you know, not only did they block one, Calais Campbell getting his big mid up there to, to block a field goal, but they also forced two misses. Um, and, you know, you don't really think about field goal units forcing misses, but I actually went back and watched some of the tape, especially that miss at the end of regulation. Campbell was getting held one guy around his waist, one guy around his leg to try and prevent him. And he still almost made it through the line to block that last field goal and probably put some pressure on Rodrigo Blankenship. Um, and forced him to push that kick wide. So, uh, you know, unusual that you see that much impact from field goal block unit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, that unit was looking a little shaky at first. Uh, Marlon jumping off sides at the end of the first half. That one had me throwing stuff on my walls for sure. Just a not a smart move and not something you've come to expect from a guy like Humphrey. But to your point, they absolutely turned it around. And Calais was a man on a mission last night. You know, there were some questions coming into this year. He was banged up a lot last year. Obviously, Father Time is undefeated, but he's looked pretty good so far, and especially last night had probably his best game of the year. Uh, but it, it would be tough to give this award to anybody but the offense just with what we saw. I mean, 523 total yards. It, it was a master class in the second half from what we saw from them. So I would go offense. I mean, we even saw Duvernay get more involved last night. Uh, but the honorable mention absolutely goes to the field goal block unit because without them and Calais Campbell in particular, we're not even in a position to win the game. Absolutely. And, and that has a huge impact on, on the momentum of the game, I feel like. And, and even though the defense allowed the yards and let the Colts get in the field goal range, not letting them get the points is huge to motivate the offense coming back on the field. Absolutely. Uh, now for play of the game, this one was a pretty exciting game. This, this one was tough for me to pick. So I'll give you my nominees. I'm sure you have a couple more, um, that deep Hollywood touchdown. Uh, he hit the cornerback with a filthy double move. The kind of thing that, you know, uh, that the Ravens receivers coaches have been working on all off season. And he's really bringing it all together onto the field. Now that was, he had been working those curls all night and Jackson had completely continuously been finding him and he finally found the right moment to get the corner to bite and he was wide open I mean there was no one within 10 yards of him when he caught that ball um Odafe always sack and force fumble early on is just another kind of impact instant juice play that he provides to the defense uh Campbell's block field goal like we mentioned that is the kind of play that you just have to wheel your way into the path of the ball uh and also that Andrews one-handed catch you mentioned the drops and man when I saw him go for that catch with uh defender coming right at him. I was worried. I was like, I don't know if he's going to bring that in. 
but not only did he bring it in with one hand, he held on through contact. Uh, really impressive play. What was your play of the game? Uh, yeah, my number one choice was the blocked field goal as well, just because of how much it meant for the game and how the Ravens wouldn't even have been in a position to win if not for that. Uh, a, another play I'd like to mention is that second two-point conversion, the one that tied it up at the end. I was I was sweating, <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Uh, Jackson, it looked like he was faking the run. You know, he took the snap, took a few steps forward, and Andrews had a defender all over his back. I mean, that's a play you see in, their, in NFL, you know, eight times out of ten that things goes whizzing through the back of the end zone because the tight end just can't get his hands on it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? He was The defender was absolutely draped all over him, but another contested catch, very promising to see from Andrews, and, uh, you know, hopefully he can continue to build on that for the rest of the season. Yeah, I do have to say, you know, first half I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter about Greg Roman's play call, but the second half they really turned it on, getting the ball downfield, they had a couple nice just route combinations. They had one where they motioned Hollywood and kind of faked a screen to him and opened up a ton of room for Andrews down the sideline. And so I thought some plays like that, and especially when they were on the goal line inside of five yards, that's a tough, that's a tough place to be as an offense um, because the defense is really just packed into much less space than you're used to dealing with. And between the protection and just Jackson staying calm and just waiting for someone to pop open, really impressive. Yeah, that, uh, you know, that back line, once you get inside the the 10 yard line, it may as well be an extra defender just because it condenses the field so much. So absolutely impressive. Also, it felt as if they played a lot faster in the second half. They, they were continuously trying to keep the Colts off balance, not allowing them to make the changes. You know, guys were sucking wind. You saw it all at the end of the game and being as well conditioned a team as the Ravens are. That's when you can really take advantage of these kind of situations and props to Roman for recognizing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but overall, I have to absolutely agree that that block field goal is just a kind of game shifting play that you just need in this kind of close game in prime time. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to the back to practice award for a position group that needs to step it up in a specific area. I'm so tired of saying that the defense need to tackle, but the defense needs to tackle. <laughs> it's driving me nuts a little bit. Just not even the missing a bunch of tackles in a row, but just getting your man on the ground and not letting him get an extra three or four yards in a first down is even more frustrating to me because that to me is, is a, is a technique thing and a will thing. You know, you, you, you wrap him up, you got to stop him. You can't let him drag you. I understand, uh, you know, there are a lot of good running backs in this league. They're going to make you miss in the open field. Um, but man, when you get two guys on the, when you get two guys on the ball carrier and you can't bring them right down to me, that's a big problem. Uh, the other couple things I wanted to improve on Jackson and the running backs kind of getting back on the same page in the read option game. I felt like things weren't completely smooth um, in some of the handoffs. I felt like there, there still just isn't that complete familiarity with what Jackson wants to do with the ball all the time. Mm-hmm. And the other one is Anthony Averett. Man, he looked so good these first four games and just looked completely lost at times, consistently getting beaten on these deep out and comeback routes on the sideline, which is an area where he normally excels. Uh, something I'm sure he's going to be working on in practice this week. Uh, what did you want to see improve out of the Ravens? Uh, yeah, the tackling absolutely is at the top of that list. Uh, Patrick Queen is one in particular that I seem to see on a regular basis. He's making almost these like cornerback type of tackles. You know what I mean? Where you just throw your body into somebody and, and hope it's enough to get him down as opposed to wrapping up and form tackling. Uh, that, that's something that's definitely going to have to improve. I mean, there's no bones about it. Uh, as far as other improvements, yeah, Averett had a rough game. I'll give him a mulligan. 
just because to your point, he has been so good so far. Uh, you know, specifically the the play against Tyree Kill in that Chiefs game comes to mind. So he's been really solid. It seems like he's on his way to earning himself a decent contract this offseason. Uh, the running backs, I mean, you, you know, we saw it, uh, that play towards the end of the goal line where, uh, you know, there was a bit of miscommunication between Jackson and Freeman at mm-hmm. the end, and it, and it led to sort of a dead play there. Uh, there's got to be something figured out with the running back group because this has been such a strong – and, I mean, how, how much can you realistically do when you have to overcome the losses of two guys like Dobbins and Edwards? But right now this group isn't, isn't cutting it. You know, we saw a couple flashes in the receiving game from Devontae Freeman, and we'll talk more about that later. But overall, uh, there's just no juice there right now. Yeah, and, and obviously, really missing. yeah, and obviously that has to do with how how teams are really loading up against the Ravens to stop the run. I totally get you know where it's coming from in that perspective, but I do feel like um, you know some of these issues at the mesh point are just they just scare me. Um, and with how closely other teams are defending this read option, it just means that there's no margin for error at, at, when you do those handoffs. Uh, so definitely some things to improve. And I totally agree. I'm willing to give Avery a mulligan and I completely think he bounces back um, again later this season. Uh, and, uh, for, just, oh, really quick before we move on. Also, hmm? I mean, at this point, after we saw what Lamar did last night in the week before in Denver, I don't know how much longer teams are going to be able to stack the box. I mean, Lamar is surgically picking apart teams at will. I mean, say for that first half last night, they're sort of becoming a pick your poison team. Do you want to stack the box? They'll throw it over your head. <clears throat> excuse me do you you know do you want to go with eight uh eight corner eight secondary members you know they'll just jam it down your throat but we haven't seen that ability to just jam it down your throat yet this year and that's that's something they're gonna have to refine with the guys they have yeah absolutely uh moving on to newcomer of the week award two guys we already talked about but can get in them a little bit more here Odafe Owe I mean I, I can't be more impressed with him you know, all of the doubt coming out with zero sacks at Penn State his uh, his last year, uh, you know, getting picked in the draft and just showing up everywhere for the Ravens this season against the run, against the pass. You know, Wake's been using him as a QB spy on a lot of like looped, delayed blitzes. Uh, and he's just been so impressive. And last night was one of the quickest get offs I've ever seen by an edge rusher in, in all of my time watching football. He just he looked like he was on Wentz before Wentz even got the snap. Um, and then Brandon Stevens, I mean, a guy that was doubted as a third round pick. A lot of people were like, who is this guy? Why is they drafting the third round? Why do they want to convert a cornerback to safety and draft him in the third round? But He's done so, so well this year. He's been excellent in tackling um, and has generally looked pretty good in coverage. Looks like a future free safety for this team. Absolutely. I mean, he led the team in tackles, uh, came in in a really clutch moment with Elliott not there and really performed well. He's he's quickly earning himself more snaps. Uh, My newcomer of the week was actually Devontae Freeman. And now on paper, you look at the stat sheet, you say, oh, why? You know, three catches, 34 yards, whatever. But on especially especially at the end of the game, two big catches on that game tying drive that put the Ravens in position. Uh, he got them inside the five on the drive prior. Uh, when Lamar is in those situations where he needs a short yardage security blanket, I mean, we all know Mark Andrews is his real security blanket. But when you just need that guy out of the backfield when you're getting rushed, I mean, last night Freeman looked like he could fill that role pretty well. So we'll see what he does going forward but it was, it was promising to see. 
Yeah, and I've been impressed with Freeman in pass protection too. You know, his ability to trip blockers and help out the O-line before getting out and making those catches. You know, and, and you know, three yards, three catches, 34 yards, you know, that's nothing to sneeze at when you think about the Ravens' rotation at running back, when you think about the other targets they had, um, and came in big moments. When, when the Colts were like, oh, crap, we need to drop everyone in coverage to defend against these deep balls that, you know, Lamar's throwing with pinpoint accuracy. Freeman was the guy sitting there in the flat underneath saying, all right, give me the ball. I'll run. You know, I've got 20 yards of open space in front of me. I'm just going to go pick up yards. And mm-hmm. it's just great to have a guy like that, um, that can do a couple things for this offense, despite losing so many guys to injuries this season. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to the mile high miracle, ridiculous Ravens moment of the week. Um, <laughs> This is a weird, this is a weird game. There was the goal line fumble that got returned for a touchdown. I really thought either Brown or Jackson was going to bring um, the, the defender down on that play that got called back for a illegal forward lateral. There was the blocked field goal. There was the missed field goal. And there was also a missed extra point. So just a lot of weird moments, a lot of kind of, semi-miraculous moments for the Ravens that helped them stay in this game. Uh, what was your number one ridiculous Ravens moment of the week? Uh, my number one was the, your first mentioned one, that fumble by Lamar on the goal line. I mean, he, he's got to take better care of the ball. There's no bones about it. I mean, it, it's tough to pull much negative from what we saw from him last night, specifically in the second half. And that fumble was seemingly what lit the fire under his rear end because the next drive they go, they had that big, long touchdown to Hollywood. And then, you know, we're guns blazing. Mm-hmm. So uh, right. It would have to be, it would have to be that fumble. And, you know, he almost fought Lamar almost fumbled again later mm-hmm. in the game on what would have been, I believe the game tying drive. Uh, he's got to take care of the ball. There's no bones about it. He's got to take care of the ball. Yeah. Sometimes I think he's almost like too confident that he's down mm-hmm. and, and let's go with the ball sometimes a little early when he hits yep. the ground. And I just think, you know, just hold on to the ball and give it right to the ref. Um, but yeah, I absolutely agree. That entire play between it being so close to a touchdown going all the way the other way and then getting all the way called back after a pretty lengthy, deple- pretty lengthy delay was yeah. a pretty wild, was probably last night's wildest play. Um, and actually, speaking of that play, this brings me to head scratcher of the week, which is the worst decision um, could be made by a coach, referee, or player. Uh, I have two main nominees, two specific ones. The first is Lamar not handing that ball off to Latavius Murray. Um, it just looked like Murray had the hole, um, and this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. It just seems like Lamar isn't 100% confident when he's handing off on these read options sometimes now with how many defenders are coming at him in the run defense. So definitely not necessarily a knock on anything he's doing. I think it's more of an adjustment that he needs to make, probably working with Greg Roman a little bit on it. Um, but yeah, not handing that ball off at the goal line for a pretty clear touchdown. Um, I don't know, may not have been such a nail-biter game if, uh, if we had scored right there. The other two I have, or the other, the other main one I have is Tavon Young reacting. So he clearly gets pushed in the head by Jack Doyle here. Like that's, there's no, there's no debate that should have been a flag on Doyle. Um, you know, but Young gets up and shoves him back. Uh, and, and that is, that's always going to be a flag. And more often than not in these kinds of plays, it's the guy who reacts. It's the second player who gets flagged. And so, you know, it's just something you got to know, even at any point in the game, to me, the biggest thing I'm thinking is 
whoever goes, whoever hits second is the one who gets in trouble more often than not. And you just can't respond. Uh, and the other kind of general head scratcher I had was kind of not as aggressive as I expected or have come to expect from the Ravens on fourth down, especially in the first half, a couple of times around midfield on fourth and four, fourth and two, uh, where I feel like they have a lot of plays, not just running plays, a lot of passing plays that they can rely on in those situations to pick up a short yardage first down. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, even on the drive in the beginning when they kicked the field goal, when it came up to be fourth down, you know, I was in my group chat talking to everybody on Twitter and the general consensus was like, let's go for this. And obviously hindsight's 2020. If they hadn't got that there, who knows how the rest of the game turns out. Granted, it wasn't too much better for the rest of the first half after that anyway. <laughs> but uh, to just to go back to the Tavon Young, Jack Doyle incident. Uh, yeah. Bonehead move by Tavon can't have it, you know, from, pretty much from the time that we're raised as kids, you know, when there's fights in the schoolyard, what do you always hear? Oh, they're going to catch the second person. The, the second one's going to get in trouble. So that's just something you got to be smarter in. But I mean, Jack Doyle, like, what are you doing, man? I mean, you know, this guy's just coming off of neck surgery, like just a, a total scumbag move. And forgive me if that's, you know, I don't know if we could say that on here. You, you definitely had scumbags. Fine. Yeah. Uh, Cause yeah. I totally agree. It was a scumbag move. And yeah. you know, I just think, you know, I, I hope the NFL takes a look at it. That That's the kind of play that, you know, in terms of player safety, uh, that the NFL really needs to just be aware of these little after the play hits, um, you know, little things, because it just it just riles everyone up and inspires a lot more personal aggression against specific players. And that's just really dangerous for the team. You yeah. know, what if what if Tavon Young had said, OK, I'm going to wait and I'm just going to completely blindside him the next time I get a chance mm -hmm. uh, and could have really hurt him. Um, yeah. And, you know, you don't you don't want guys to be in that position where they feel like they have to get back at someone. And the best way to do that is just penalize these things when you see them. Yeah, especially. And, and you know looking at the size of Doyle and the size of Tavon Young. It's just, it's such a bad look for him. And the flop afterwards, it's like. Oh, he's, he's just on the ground. The play's yeah. over and you shove his head into the turf. It's just, I mean, that's unnecessary roughness. That That's probably what the flag should have been on if Young, you know, hadn't gotten up. The sad thing is we may not have really noticed that if Young hadn't gotten up and pushed Doyle, um, yeah. which, you know, I understand. I, I actually think, I you know, one thing I wanted to add about the head scratcher award, usually I talk about the refs a little bit more. Um, but I felt like they did an okay job last night. Uh, I also recognize it's, it's a tough job. And so at the end of the day, I felt like they didn't put themselves in the game too much when they didn't need to. Um, there was, they, there, oh no, sorry. Continue. No, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Cause there was one point in the play. This was actually a play that I had written down was that horse collar at just on Justin Houston at the end of the game. I know there's been a lot of debate about this. It's gone back and forth. He had all Jersey. You know, the the definition of the horse collar rule is grabbing somebody by their pads, you know, from behind, mm -hmm. what have you. He clearly had the jersey. I mean, these rules today are so tailored to offenses and quarterbacks in particular. Uh, we've got to give him some kind of slack here. There was no malicious intent. There's got to be some discretion from the referees because that was as clean a sack as I've seen, especially when you look at some of these big hits today. It's like, how, how are you going to call that? And it's so tough for defenders because, you know, something I something I've thought with Jackson before. Part of the reason why he doesn't get as many calls for like roughing the passer unnecessary roughness is because he's so hard to bring down in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I feel, I mean, Wentz is a pretty big dude. It's hard to bring him down. Uh, and you know, when these quarterbacks are, you know, refusing to give up and when they're trying to fight against sacks and still get the ball off and break the sack, you know, yeah, it's hard to really gently tackle a quarterback. 
it's hard to gently tackle anyone. Um, but when you're trying to bring down a guy, it's as big as Carson Wentz or as elusive as Lamar Jackson, you know, it's hard to do everything that's hundred percent legal by the rule book. And I think that's where the league has to do a better job of distinguishing what's player safety and what's just kind of randomly protecting offenses because fans love fans love touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what are you supposed in Justin Houston situation in particular, what are you supposed to do? Just say, Oh, I missed him. You know, let him go. (laughs) Yeah. And if you just hold on to him, he can still break free, get the ball off for an incompletion. You know, the refs, maybe we should have the refs blowing more plays dead in the pocket when quarterbacks start to get wrapped up like that. If you're really that, you know, big into player safety, Uh, you know, I think that's obviously Ravens fans have a lot of words on player safety, especially with Lamar getting his first roughing the passer penalty uh, since 2019. I was actually really glad to see that. You know, I don't I don't root for penalties, obviously, you know, when the Ravens are playing because it slows the game down. And, you know, that's not necessarily a fun way to win. But at the same time, I'm really glad that the referees did acknowledge like, hey, that's that's roughing the passer. That's a late hit. It doesn't matter that he's elusive. He's still in the pocket and you can't do it. Yeah, praise the Lord on that one. <laughs> and I think we'll uh, we'll start to see more of those calls now that the Ravens have made a big stink about it after that Denver game. So I think more and more we'll start to see them get these calls. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, kind of looking forward to next week now uh, with our, our awards and, and kind of superlatives finished up here. This game against the Chargers is huge. I mean, we, we talked about the Chiefs game being the biggest game of the year, but looking at how the Chiefs have played, especially since we kind of unlocked them for the rest of the NFL and looking at how the chargers have played this year, you know, I'm beginning to think, you know, it's, it's either the chargers or the bills is the top team in the AFC for us to beat as the team to beat. Uh, you know, Justin Herbert's had a great season, you know, the kind of duel with Lamar Jackson, I think is going to be really interesting as two of the best young quarterbacks in the game, but I'm really curious, like, can the defense step up? Do the Ravens have enough? You know, especially when you consider some of the injuries to defeat a really talented Chargers team that isn't struggling with as many injuries as they have in seasons past. They are one of the NFL's more unlucky teams in recent history in terms of injuries and late game shenanigans as well, I suppose. But, you know, they're actually relatively healthy for this matchup. And so I'm wondering if the Ravens have enough talent to beat this team. Yeah, I've got the Chargers at three in the AFC right now. I got Buffalo, Baltimore, then the Chargers. But I think you can make the case for any one of those top three teams being the best right now. I think Buffalo has got to be the clear cut, but yeah, this isn't, you you know, your same old chargers that come in here. Uh, They are, (laughs) they're lighting up the scoreboard. I mean, we saw what Cleveland's defense has done this season up until Sunday and they just absolutely torched them Mm -hmm. Uh, with the way Averett played this week. That's definitely not going to fly against guys like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Uh, the Ravens just brought in some guys today to work out uh, at corner, actually. Uh, Darquez Denard and um, who was the other one? Uh, Alexander Myers. So mm-hmm. they're definitely looking for reinforcements in that department. Uh, it's going to be a tough one. It's absolutely going to be a tough one. At the same time, coming off a crazy win like that, I mean, technically the Ravens are also coming off a crazy win, but coming off such an exhausting win like the Chargers just did, and then having to come to the East Coast for what is essentially a 10 o'clock game in their time, uh, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they came out and struggled. Really, you know, it's – It's any really, given Sunday. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I know it sounds so cliche, but it's just – it's going to be very telling about which what team shows up. And I'll tell you this much, whoever does win this game is going to have a big leg up come later in the season. The when, it, when it comes to that, getting that number one seed in that bye. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that Browns game. 
And it's interesting, the Chargers, I think they have a, a, a pretty good defense, um, but they still gave up 42 points to the Browns. And, you know, no shade to the Browns, although I love shading the Browns, but no shade to the Browns in this case, um, that, you know, the Ravens offense is better than theirs. I think that's pretty clear. And if, you know, the Browns are able to put up 42 uh, on the Chargers, you hope that the Ravens might be able to really out, might be able to win a shootout against LA, you know, and I think there's also kind of a, uh, there's, a, there's a little bit of a narrative coming into this game, not only with Herbert and Jackson, but also the Chargers were kind of the original team that, you know, stymied Jackson. Briefly, their strategy didn't work in, in, in the next season, but that first season in 2018, um, you know, the Ravens beat them in the regular season, got to the playoffs, and then lost to them in the playoffs um, because the Chargers came out with a really good game plan against Jackson. And so I think that's kind of an interesting narrative to see, like, if there's a team that, has figured out Jackson in the past and maybe is the personnel to do it again. I think it's the chargers. Um, but I think what you said earlier, the Ravens becoming that pick your poison team is going to make it really hard for a chargers defense that again, gave up 42 points to the Browns to stop Jackson. Absolutely. And part of me almost kind of hopes that they rely heavily on that tape from 2018 and they do the same thing and they stack the box. And then, you know, we just see the same exact thing we saw last night. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they do, they have what I believe is two of the top probably seven or eight defensive players in all of football, especially Derwin James. I, I think he is, mm -hmm. I think he's outside of Aaron Donald, the best defensive player in football. So I'm with you. Yeah. So they're going to have their hands full and then some, but they can score. They can put up the points. Absolutely. Especially at home. Yeah. I think it's going to be like an absolutely must watch game. Next week, uh, you know, probably going to be some more heart palpitations in that game yep. as well. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Ronald, any closing thoughts on this uh, on this game last night? Uh, one of the best wins in the history of the franchise, I think. When you when you, I know that's a bold take considering all the great wins that this team has had, but you know, it's the Colts. It, the history is there. The dramatics of the comeback late uh, in prime time Monday night in the bank. I mean, it had. Everything, every box that you could check to consider this one of the best games in the history of the franchise, I, I think it gets checked. So I think it's a great momentum booster, and hopefully it'll help carry him through next week when uh, Los Angeles comes to town. Yeah, I mean, 19-point deficit, and even Harbaugh called Lamar's uh, game one of the greatest performances he's ever seen, and that's really something coming from Harbaugh, who's, who's certainly seen a lot of great performances in his time as head coach of the Ravens. Yeah. Uh, Ronald, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and to all the listeners, thank you for joining us again this week. We look forward to having you uh, back for the podcast uh, when after the Ravens take on the Chargers next week. Thanks so much.